0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Bernard Cornwell, author of the brand new novel, Sharp's Assassin, the latest novel in the best-selling series about Richard Sharp. Cornwell is the author of over 50 novels, including the acclaimed New York Times best-selling Saxon Tales, which serves as the basis for the hit Netflix series, The Last Kingdom. For those listening, I interviewed Bernard before on the podcast in episode 178 after the publication of his novel, The Empty Throne. Bernard, welcome back to the podcast. It's Very kind of you to have me, Jeff. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new Richard Sharp novel, Sharp's Assassin, how would you describe the novel?
1: Well, it's 22nd in the series about Richard Sharp, um, and it immediately follows on from The Battle of Waterloo. And most people kind of assume that Battle of Waterloo ended the whole Napoleonic Wars, but there were still three or four weeks of fighting to go. Uh, And most of it took place on the way to and around Paris. So I take
0: Sharp to Paris. That's great. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Sharp's Assassin? Hunger.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, the original impetus, I confess, was, was meeting... Judy, who is now, has been for 40-odd years, my wife. And Judy, inconveniently, was an American, and I was a television producer in Britain. And she couldn't live in Britain for very pressing family reasons, so I said, don't worry, darling, I'll move to America. But the Americans, in their wisdom, refused to give me a green card, so I said, well, I'll write a book, because I don't need their permission to do that. And that genuinely was the original impetus, just a, just a way of staying in America.
0: And I'm curious what led you to writing this Sharp novel after a long break from Richard Sharp? I always wanted to go back to
1: Sharp um, and I'd finished the Saxon stories, and I was wondering what shall I write next. and I got two or three ideas, but I th- was just most tempted
0: to go back and re reunite myself with sharp and And do you think there's going to be future Richard Sharp novels after Sharp's assassin? I, I just stopped writing a chapter in the new one, which is also about Charles. That's great. Um, I'm curious about the research that you do did for Paris in 1815 as you were working on this novel. Um, the quick answer is not enough. I
1: mean, COVID <laughs> basically stopped me visiting Paris. I mean, Luckily, I've been to Paris two or three times, but I can't say I know the city very well. But I found a map of Paris which was dated 1814, so that was a very good start. And I found a magnificent book, all in French, which translated is titled Paris in the Time of Napoleon. And I also have a friend who lives in Paris, and I would email him every third or fourth day and say, walk down the Rue de Montreux and tell me what you see when you look to the left. Um, And he very gallantly did all that for me. So I I had a ringer on the ground. (laughs) <laughs> and I had this wonderful book about Paris, the time of Napoleon, and this superb ancient map.
0: That's great. Well, as I mentioned, your your novel Warlord was the final novel in your Saxon tale series, which is the basis for the Netflix series, The Last Kingdom. What do you think of the series? I love it. Absolutely adore it. Alexa the, stop.
1: The um the last Series is going to be shown very soon. I'm not sure what the transmission dates are, but it's coming in the next few weeks. And then they're going to make a two hour movie to finish the, the story, so to speak. Uh, so I'm excited by that.
0: That's great. I'm curious you you mentioned that you went from your uh, book Warlord to writing about Richard Sharp. Are, are you contemplating any new series now that you've concluded the Saxon Tales?
1: Jeff, I'm extremely ancient. I'm not sure I've got the time left in my life for a whole new series.
0: Well I, mean, I, I, might. I... I don't know, but old age does kind of constrain me. Sure. Well, I guess that means we get more sharp novels in the interim. You should get at least one more, maybe two. <laughs> well, I'm curious, what is your writing process when you're working on a novel like the a sharp novel? Do you... Uh, outline the novel extensively? Or you do you just kind of dive into the narrative and, and God, you have I, an idea?
1: I seriously wish I could do an outline. I never have been able to, ever. Um, so I'm left with, as you say, diving in. Um, I never know what's going to happen. I actually got to the last chapter of the book not knowing how it will end. Um, I've always done it that way. I, I simply can't do a synopsis and luckily no publishers ever asked me to do a synopsis of a book so i start a book usually put sharp if it is sharp into a situation and see how he gets out and then write the next chapter after that keep going
0: that's great well given your success with uh, your novels both the saxon novels and the sharp novels what writing advice would you offer some for someone who is working on their own stories or novels Oh, Lord above. Um, are you saying somebody who's just starting? Yeah,
1: someone who's just starting. Uh, my usual very bad advice is to explore career options in chartered accountancy. But <laughs> uh, if you're serious about it, the only answer is to keep going. I mean, it's very dispiriting when you first start. Uh, but remember that we all did. I mean, everybody, every best selling author wrote a first book. And undoubtedly, when they were writing that first book, they wondered if they were completely wasting their time. And it's possible, of course, that you are wasting your time. But the only way to find out is to keep going, finish the book, and see what happens. Uh, I mean, there is no other way. You just have to put your bum on the chair and keep typing.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator
3: Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
0: Sure. I'm, I'm curious, given your success and, and your novels that are bestsellers, when you're working on a new novel, Even now, given your success, do you ever reach a time where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this again?
1: Every day. (laughs) And what do you do? (laughs) uh, What I just said, just keep going. Um, I mean, literally every time I sit down to start a new book, I think, oh, God, I can't do this.
0: Um, But the only answer is, is to keep going. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels?
1: Um. type Bernard Cornwell into Google. The first result will be my website, as far as I know.
0: That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Bernard Cornwell, best-selling author of the Richard Sharp novels and the brand-new novel Sharp's Assassin. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Bernard, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Jeff, thank you very much indeed, and Happy thank New you. Year.
0: Yep, Happy New Year to you. Thanks a lot. So I will send um, you and your... uh Publicist, an email once this uh, uh, podcast goes up.
1: Okay, Jeff. Thank you
0: again. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Sharp's Assassin by Bernard Cornwell, narrated by Rupert Farley and available from Harper Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. There were
4: three men on the ridge top, two were alive. One of the two, a tall, lean man, his face darkened by sun, was wielding a pickaxe, slamming the blade down into the stubborn earth. The top 12 inches of digging had been easy, but the hard rain of two days before had not loosened the thick clay soil beneath, and the pick was striking hard, but not deep. This'll take our bloody day, he grumbled. Let me do it the second man said. He was even taller, a burly, hard-muscled man who spoke in an Irish accent. You take the shovel. I want to do it, the first man said surlily and slammed the pick down again. He was stripped to the waist, wearing only a crude straw hat, calf-length boots and French cavalry overalls. His shirt and his green rifleman's jacket were hung on a nearby tree. Together with his heavy cavalry sword, a tattered red officer's sash, and a rifle. I told you to dig the hole in the valley, the bigger man said. The grind's softer down there. It has to be up here, Pat. Dan always liked the high ground. I'll miss Dan, Patrick Harper said wistfully. Bloody frogs. The pickaxe hammered down again. Give me that shovel. I'll shovel it, Harper said. Make room. He jumped into the shallow grave and scraped out some loose soil and stones. The officer walked to the tree and took down his rifle. I'll bury this with him, he said. Why not his own rifle? Because his is better than mine. Dan won't mind. He looked after his rifle, that's for sure. Dan Hagman's corpse lay on the grass. He'd been killed by a French voltigeur in the battle that had been fought on the ridge just one day before. Most of the battalion's dead were being buried in a shallow grave on the lower ground, close to the chateau of Hugemont, that still smoked from the fire that had destroyed the main house. Another fiercer and larger fire burnt closer to the chateau, and the stink of it wafted up the ridge. The officer crouched beside Hagman's corpse and gently touched the dead man's face. you were a good man, Dan," he said. He was that. The officer, whose name was Richard Sharp, flicked a piece of dirt from Dan Hagman's green jacket that had been cleaned and mended by one of the battalion wives. Sharp had washed Hagman's face, though no amount of washing could erase the rash of powder burns scored into Hagman's right cheek, each burn thrown up by the explosion of powder in his rifle's pan. We should say a prayer, he said. If we ever make his grave deep enough, Harper grumbled. You can say it. You're a Catholic. Christ, I haven't seen a church in ten years, Harper said. I doubt God listens to me. He doesn't even know I exist. I wonder if Dan prayed. He sang a nice hymn, so he did, Harper said. He took the pickaxe and drove it deep into the ground. We'll soon have this done, he said, loosening the hard-packed soil with a heave. I don't want the foxes digging him up. We'll put rocks on top of him. Sharp had made a wooden cross from the shattered backboards of an artillery wagon. He'd used a red-hot bayonet to burn Dan Hagman's name into the crosspiece, then added, Rifleman. He arched his back, trying to work the pain from his muscles, and stared across the shallow valley where the battle had been fought. There were corpses everywhere, men and horses, while the crops were flattened and scorched by artillery fire. God, that stinks, Sharp said, nodding down the slope to where the fiercer fire was being fed with timber cut from the wood beyond Hougoumont. Men were also carrying French corpses to the fire and throwing them onto the flames. The British dead were being buried, but the enemy would burn their way into eternity. Sharp dropped the wooden cross and picked up the spade. Officer coming, Harper said in warning. Sharp turned to see a cavalry officer coming towards
3: them. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corrient.